Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, why are we being told to eat less meat? Where's the beef, you vegan? That's one of my favourite quotes of the year so far in news. It was intended to be a slur to the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, but I think it's probably the most illuminating around our current political atmosphere. Because we're in an age which is seeing people become more entrenched in the views that shape their lifestyles and their politics. We're seeing people being polarised and a divided society to the point that people are actually angry because others decide to not eat meat or to remove as many animal products as they want from their meals. While some groups have been encouraging initiatives such as Meatless Mondays, you will see people protesting the mere existence of a vegan sausage roll in a convenience store. Leo Vracker himself got in trouble for suggesting he was cutting down on his meat intake to reduce his carbon footprint. But all this talk around plant-based diets has increased because the world is finally confronting the truth around the climate crisis. The Journal.ie reporter Cormac Fitzgerald has spent the past number of weeks travelling the country to get a real picture of how Ireland is set up to tackle the things we really need to tackle to avoid this climate catastrophe. He's in studio today and will also be focusing on why we've been told to eat less meat to help the situation with Jesus Frias, academic leader in the Environmental Sustainability and Health Institute at TU Dublin and beef farmer and journalist Dara McCullough. Welcome all. Cormac, you obviously have been travelling the country and, and, and writing about this. We've had a piece every day for a week. Can you tell us what are the headline figures in Ireland? What are the things we're most worried about? Yes, yeah, so you're absolutely right. We've been focusing on it this week on the journal and uh, I've been looking into it a lot. And uh, <laughs> to, to start, it's a complex subject. I think when you hear, we hear so much about climate change, environmentalism, things like greenhouse gas emissions, carbon efficiency, fossil fuel exploitation. And it just, it, they kind of become words. They're hard to, to separate or to associate that with our real lives. Yeah, well, you also get to start to feel like you're doing everything wrong. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that kind of personal responsibility every time you... Uh, go for a drive or yeah, eat some meat. I guess our greenhouse gas emissions, that is the, the gases we release into the atmosphere that trap heat that in a very, very simple uh, way lead to global warming okay, or lead to climate change. If you look at it as a pie chart of how we emit the different sectors of Irish society, agriculture, which we'll be focusing on, is one of the largest or is the largest. 33% of all our emissions come from agriculture. To put that into context, transport, so you think all the cars, all the lorries, all the vans driving around Ireland every year is 20%. So that kind of gives you an idea of just how much agriculture contributes. And that's because we're an agricultural nation. Energy is a, another a big contributor at 20%. So all the energy used to power everything, us recording this podcast here, listening to it, lights in your home, everything is another 20%. So agriculture is huge. And over half of these emissions from agriculture come from basically, in a again, basic sense, cows burping it's cows or animals called ruminants and they have a process by called enteric fermentation where basically you know cows have four stomachs they swallow food they it, it kind of ferments in their stomach they regurgitate it back up and they swallow it again and digest it and that process releases methane which then goes into the atmosphere and is a heat trapping greenhouse gas so in terms of our greenhouse emissions how many do we have how many do we have to reduce to to get to a point where we're not going to blow up the world yeah so there's yeah there's, <laughs> uh, well ireland we know quite small um so say when we're compared to something like china or the us our, our emissions seem minuscule but on a per capita basis in the eu we're actually you know we we don't do a great job we're the third highest emitters a study showed this this week per capita of greenhouse gas emissions 
So we release, and don't glaze over this, about 60 million tons of carbon dioxide equivalent, which is how this is measured into the atmosphere. 60 million. 60 million tons. And uh, that goes into the atmosphere every year. The target set by EU is that we need to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions from 2005 levels by 20% by 2020 and 30% by 2030. At the moment, so 2020 is next year, as you know, we're not going to be anywhere near that. And that is going to result in us basically having to buy the carbon credits that better nations who have managed to reduce their uh, emissions. We have to kind of purchase, you know, what they have saved. And that's going to cost us millions of euro coming down the line. This is all culminated in, in us being told to eat less meat. Who is telling us that and why? Yeah, where's the beef, you vegan? <laughs> we heard that and farmers definitely weren't happy uh, when Leo Varadkar, when he was asked how he is uh, lowering his carbon footprint, um, when he said back in January that he was trying to eat less meat uh, to do this. Uh, the opposition and the IFA, the Irish Farmers Association lobby, didn't respond well to this at all. Charlie McConnell Ogre, Fianna Fáil, uh, said the Taoiseach's comments didn't show, quote, the type of leadership you'd expect from the Taoiseach. Um, people had a go at him in the doll. Uh, farmers said it was unacceptable for him to talk about that because we we're so reliant on agriculture and beef farmers are feeling under pressure. And uh, poor Leo then had to row back in the doll and say that he had a steak the night before just to, ins- to assure people that he wasn't going vegan. Which kind of goes to what I was saying about the polarisation of society. But th- there is some science behind the, the the request for us to eat less meat. Yeah, there is. We have three, over the past year, we've had uh, a series of pretty major reports kind of pointing towards how the way we eat meat and the way in which we can consume food or how we're eating just isn't environmentally sustainable. And I say we, us in developed nations, we eat too much meat, something Jesus will touch on uh, later. But some of the reports, the first uh, last year, there was a pretty comprehensive report in the um, the journal Nature, which said that meat consumption needs to be reduced significantly in kind of richer nations, you know, nations like ours. Uh, we need to cut our beef intake by 90% and milk intake by 60% so that we can avert climate catastrophe. What's the time frame on that? So we're kind of working towards 2050. Um, we need to avert that so that we can, by 2050, keep our global warming to below two degrees Celsius from pre-industrial times, which basically means we want to, yeah, we don't want the, the world to get that to that two degrees Celsius point because that will have serious effects for climate change. Then we have the Eat Lancet report, which is huge from the Eat Lancet Commission in January, which was a very significant report and recommended that consumption of red meat and sugar should half by 2050 our consumption of it. And things like fruits, nuts, vegetables and legumes should double you know, it's a significant change to our diet. And then finally, just this month, we had the, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, basically the UN body that, you know, that uh, issues these studies and deals with climate change. They said that, uh, issued a stark warning in relation to land use, saying that climate change was threatening the world's food supply uh, at the same time that the way we produce food is fueling global warming. And uh, they warned that efforts to limit global warming could be could be wrecked without swift and sweeping changes to how we use the land we live off. They gave figures of as much as 37% of greenhouse gas emissions around the world come from agriculture and food production. This is completely unsustainable if we want to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions and um, averse climate catastrophe, which we're warned is coming down the line. 
Hey, Jesus, on that East Lancet report, that was the mm -hmm. one that I remember caused the most consternation. People were mm -hmm. um, quite angry. There were some people quite upset that, you know, this, Cormac mentioned that it's a it's a change for beef farmers or whatever. But a lot of people also argued that it was a change in, you know, rural traditions or just even society in Ireland's traditions. Mm -hmm. What exactly did that East Lancet report say? Okay, Um the, the Beef Lancer report is a commission report. So there was a, a team uh, that was uh, joined up by the, the Lancet team, the Lancet uh, publishing company, to, to develop this report. Okay, it's not it's a non-binding report, so it's not like a Paris Agreement or like a policy. So in that way, what the the report was aiming at is at producing a feasible scenario or presenting a feasible scenario of a healthy and sustainable diet for the planet. It identified a number of problems from two main sides of the equation, uh, from a nutritional point of view and from an environmental point of view. So from the nutritional point of view, it said something that maybe a lot of people know already. We, we are eating a lot of meat. The Irish Central Statistics Office has been collecting uh, numbers on this since a long time and we can see that since since 2001 uh, we are eating over 93 kilos per year as an average per uh, person per person of meat okay if you translate this per day the data 2011 the last recorded there goes around 212 grams per day per person Has that Ireland. been increasing over the 20 years? Uh, no, it's been uh, relatively stationary. What seems to be is there are changes within the different categories of meat. Now, there is a complexity here. Meat is necessary for us. We need, in many cases, in many diets and in many lifestyles, we may need to have protein. And meat is one of the foods that gives us our protein. Okay? Obviously, you can, by, by choice... Uh, you can decide not to eat meat and furnish your protein from other sources. But for the majority of the population nowadays, meat is the main source of protein. Okay. Now, as everything, this is food is always a, a pleasure, an option. Okay. So it's, it's part of a multiple thing. Okay. However, the numbers are very clear. If you look at the recommended dietary allowances that we have nowadays, uh, the Food Safety Authority indicated for an active lifestyle, two to three palms so per day. So the palm of your hand. Of your hand per day, without the thumb and without your I was going to fingers. say, I have really big hands. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah you have to have very big hands to get a lot of meat. But if we, if we make a kind of a big approximation, we're talking about two ounces to three ounces, so to 57 grams. So that brings between 120 to 180 grams per day to, to furnish you with protein, okay? And in 2011, we, we were in, 2000, in 212 grams. So we have something between... Uh, 42 double, depending on whether you're a young person and you're not eating a lot of meat or whether you're an older person, more sedentary, and you eat a lot of meat. There is a big span there of people that is eating too much meat. And in most of the cases, we are all eating too much meat for what we need. Yeah. In the a climate, um, so for that IPCC report, Cormac, is that 
are the numbers the same? Would would that reduction in meat also manage to kind of be a more sustainable use as well? Yeah, I think Casey was, was touching on the kind of health aspect there of it, mm. which the, yeah. the Eat Lancet report was very important for. The IPCC report then um, focused on, you know, land use and they kind of, they coincide with each other. So mm. if we're eating too much meat, that obviously means that we're producing too much meat to eat and focusing specifically on beef, say, it uh, is very land intensive so you have grazing cattle let's say in ireland there it's a grass-based system so you have them outside eating grass and in other places in south america the us it might it might be in feedlots which are eating grain in kind of big say barns and they require a lot of nourishment and that nourishment requires a lot of land to grow things like soy to grow other food to feed the cow and then for the cow to be killed to be turned into meat you know rather than using say the land to, to feed, you know, to plant vegetables or legumes mm. or nuts to, to feed humans. So you kind of end up with using large amounts of land and all the associated problems with that to produce the beef and the meat that yeah. we're eating too much yeah. of. There, there, there are some comments and this, this is the, the size of the problem that worldwide we may be already using 70% of all the cultivable surface in the world already for agriculture. So that means there's only a a 30% of land that is fertile for other things. And when I'm talking other things, this is nature, diversity, and this, all these elements, wildlife. So there is, together in the in the IPCC and in the Eatlands, there is there is there a, a big message that um, the, the way we produce meat, uh, the way we produce food indeed, has to, to change, that we need to think on how to do better with less to, as Korma said, leave space. Mm. We need to leave some space there. Jesus, is there any sign that the industry is taking notice or that, you know, people eating less meat has made an impact on what they're doing? So I I have uh, examples already of uh, uh, meat consumption uh, data from the UK and from the USA where we are already starting to see a, a decrease in the amount of uh, uh, red meat especially that is being eaten. There is, I think, an example in the UK that uh, poultry seems to be uh, a meat of, of choice of increase and it's a white meat and it may, be, it may have a, a lower effect on the environment and indeed as well on the, on the health and also very importantly, the, the consumer choice also produces an immediate reaction on the food industry. So the f- food industry is a very dynamic and a very intensive innovation system. And the Irish industry is no different from them. Very adapt- adapted to changes. So if the consumers start asking, well, we want to have less meat, uh, we want options where our meat will have much better quality, we will enjoy the time and we will know and realize about the time when we eat meat. And then when we are not eating meat, well, we can have something else. Okay. But that must be very worrying for the agricultural industry in Ireland, which is hugely reliant on beef and dairy farming. What, Cormac, we have 6.6 million cows, something like that? Yeah, we have lots of cows. (laughs) (laughs) With the exception of last year, over the past five years, the the numbers are going up too. That's because we're... I suppose in the context we're a very export heavy nation, we export a lot of our product, you know, a lot of it goes to the UK, um, a lot of it goes to Europe and then beyond that as well. Um, so with dairy, uh, with the 
milk quotas being abolished back in 2015. Um, we're seeing the number of cattle going up, you know, as we produce more dairy and export it in the form of well, milk, but also powdered milk, things like baby feed, mm. you know, to, and right now that industry is in a good place in, from an economic point of view. Mm. But with the recent beef plant protests, we're seeing the, the beef industry is currently under pressure. Beef farmers or suckler farmers aren't making huge amounts of money. And they're, I suppose they're wondering why. And that's to do with pricing and different elements of that. But Ireland is very reliant on our agricultural industry. Um, we have about... 137,000 farms uh, in 2016 across the country. We've 265,000 people employed by the yes. sector. Agri-food is responsible, I think, for like something like 14 billion uh, euro mm. to the economy back in 2016. Yeah, there, I, I think Cormac is raising there something very important. Like we've, we've been talking about um, sustainability in terms of environmental sustainability. And, but there are there are two two other elements there that are very important and I, for example they very nicely outline in the annual survey of farm sustainability that Chagas conduces. So we have the element of economic sustainability, okay, and we are one of the very few countries in Europe at the moment that has a rural economy and a significant rural economy where we have. Small farmers, we have medium farmers. So small farmers, they have a huge challenge in front of them because for them to adapt and to produce more environmentally friendly things is going to be very difficult. However, small farmers form part of a tissue, form part of a community, and uh, you cannot extricate them. You cannot say, well, we're not going to have small farmers because you destroy in, a, in an essence, the, the society, the community that we have over there. So that element, the social element of sustainability is, is an element that uh, needs to be assessed. So Chagas assesses, uh, well, the economic sustainability, but in the social sustainability metrics, they have things like household vulnerability, isolation, okay, age profiles on the, on the farms, on the producers, the hours of work, the, the stress, and the education levels, the agricultural education levels that can bring, uh, obviously, a, a, a rural environment into bigger development, into better life conditions. And as I said, we do have that very significant element of rural society in Ireland. It's historical. We've always been the granary. And uh, it's maintaining that, sustaining that, I think it has also a social element there. I think, yeah, Jesus touched off it there. Um, from one of the articles for the series, I spoke to a farmer from Roscommon. He had 50 suckler cows and 200 sheep um, across a large swathe of land. And he was very passionate about land. He was a fifth generation farmer, but he was saying he just can't really make a living. You know, he's he is uh, unable to make a, a sustainable income. And I think we all know a farmer's work ridiculously hard mm. up, you know it's not really a job you go home from you know it is your entire job and again what Jesus touched off there and I know um Dara McCullough will talk more about this it's how do farmers change or adapt to to a changing world because with these reports the world is changing people are reducing their meat intake and we're being told more and more that we need to change the way we eat um, I think it'll be very tricky for, for yeah. farmers to adapt for that and I think going back to Leo being heckled, you know, it's not really a, yeah. a matter of, oh, you know, you're a vegan, I'm going to heckle you, but it's, you know, farmers are obviously worried and the lobby and uh, the everyday farmer are worried about 
about yeah their economic future you know yeah. with this changing mm. we are quite tied to meat production i guess going forward but a lot of environmentalists in ireland will say that increasing cattle numbers are is bad for biodiversity in the countryside and you know we have mm. our own issues that so much of our agricultural land yeah over 80 percent, i think is mm. uh, is used for cattle grazing at the expense of things like you know growing vegetables so we're a net importer of vegetables we import thousands of kilos of uh, say potatoes every year and of you know other vegetables you think we'd grow here but we don't really grow them here because our agriculture isn't um, focused at it's focused so much on cattle rearing and the the various environmental concerns that go along with that I think that's a good time to bring Dara McCullough in. Dara, you are obviously a beef farmer yourself and a journalist with expertise in this area. Jesus has just been saying he thinks it's possible for us to continue to produce beef but be more environmentally sound about it. Do you agree? And if so, what do we need to do to make that true? Yeah, well, the first thing to point out, Sinead, is that we will be always producing beef in Ireland despite all the doomsday predictions about the beef industry. While we continue to produce milk, and bear in mind we're one of the most cost-efficient producers of milk on the planet, while we produce milk, we'll be producing beef because that's what happens dairy cows at the end of their careers. There is ways to produce beef in a a cost-neutral way, a carbon-neutral way, but it's quite technical. And, you know, it's kind of stuff that farmers don't get terribly excited about because they've been told about all these various techniques for many years, if not decades. So it's things like farming in a more efficient way, not lashing out uh, fertilizer willy-nilly. Putting So to do that, you need to soil test your land, know how much uh, fertility is already in there and tailoring your fertilizer to that. But there's also new technology, so the type of fertilizer that guys should be using. Um, you know, we have protected urea now, which basically means it releases less greenhouse gases into the atmosphere as it's being spread. Um, but there may be ways for farmers to step away from um, fertilizers altogether and use things like clover. Now, clover is not new technology, and we've known for for decades, if not centuries, that it's able to absorb nitrogen from the air and basically put it into the soil. So it's a, a natural source of fertility for for crops for plants. Um, the problem with clover and the reason that you don't hear farmers going on about clover the whole time you hear them about growing grass is that clover is trickier to grow. So it takes a, you know, a higher degree of management. And that's what this all boils down to. In order for farmers to become more carbon efficient, they're going to have to become better managers, more skillful, more technical. No matter what, would it mean a reduction in the herd? So, you know, we've been talking about the 6.6 million cows that are in Ireland now. Can you do those small changes, some of the more radical changes like the clover, like the fertilizer, while still keeping that number of cows and reaching our, our targets in, in climate sustainability? Well, if you read the Climate Advisory Council's report, they would say that, no, we can't keep our national herd at the levels that they're currently at and meet our targets for 2050 or 2030. And they're the experts in this field. So I think it would be foolhardy for me or anyone else in the agri-sector to just say, oh yeah, those guys, no, we can ignore that and we can keep our levels as they currently are. So I think there is going to have to be a shrinkage in the national herd. I don't think dairy cows, even though they're bigger emitters and that there's more emissions come from the dairy herd, but the key difference between dairy herd and sucker herd is the dairy herd makes pots of money. So 
dairy farmers are able to afford to put in a whole kind of, a suite of mitigating measures to try and reduce their emissions, whereas beef farmers won't be able to afford that because they're already at a loss. Are there diversification options as well? Like we've been talking here about how consumers are moving towards plant-based diets and, you know, that we do import a huge amount of our vegetables in Ireland. Is there any way some of these farmers can change tack completely and become arable farmers or, or vegetable farmers? Uh, and my, my short answer to this is no, um, which is a bit glib. Um, the reason that so many farms are dominated by ruminants and cows and why this country specialises in ruminants is because the one crop that we can grow in this country with our eyes closed is grass. We we can obviously grow uh, cereals, but not as competitively as other parts of the world. The reason being because we have a wet, damp climate. Any gardener will know that they can go and plant an onion seed in their back garden and grow onions, and they can grow carrots, and they can grow scallions, and grow whatever they want, really, within reason. I, 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 you might struggle when it comes to lemons and pineapples, but you cannot grow them commercially in this country and export them all over the world and compete on global markets. We can do that in milk and we can do that in timber products. So there are two things that we're globally competitive in. But the idea that we can ask beef farmers all down the West Coast, which is where most of the beef production is concentrated in this country, that to wholesale switch to you know producing rice or cereals or carrots or potatoes is fantasy thinking. It can't. It, it won't work, and it, it can't work. So there's a reason that they're producing. They've specialised in producing grass, and that's because they're trying to play to their competitive advantage. However, there are. That's not to say that there aren't any alternatives. And I think, as a country and as a nation, we're too dependent on the the beef processors and employment from the beef processors and the beef industry that goes around that. I think we should be looking at more uh, ideas like putting grass into anaerobic digesters and trying to generate energy from grass. I mean, we are an energy deficit country. Uh, so that's something that farmers could profitably produce. Now, this isn't going to happen overnight and it would take a major shift in policy and thinking at government level. The other alternatives have been floated around out there are forestry. That's like a, a, a bad word in some circles and you don't mention in, in counties like Leitrim. People are very anti-commercial forestry like uh, Sicka Spruce Plantation I don't think we need to carpet the country in Sicka Spruce or even forestry in general, but I do think that we need to stop slagging off forestry as, you know, that's a ridiculous suggestion. Why would I ever plant part or all of my farm in forestry? Planting some of your farm in forestry, I think, is a very good idea for the vast majority of farmers out there. And we need a little bit of leadership. So no farm leader is ever up there promoting forestry. We don't hear it being promoted within the agri-sector in general. And that's a bad thing. I think we're missing a trick there. Cormac, what Dara was saying there about the forests and planting more trees on farmland in Ireland really got me thinking almost immediately of what's happening in the Amazon right now. Where do those fires fit in when we're talking about how bad this climate crisis is going to get? And is it all about farming? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. I think we kind of saw the issue sort of come to a head in the last maybe two weeks with the the pictures of the Amazon fires. I find sometimes that climate issues, they kind of bubble along for a while and then we see something like the Arctic fires or we see the Amazon on fire and people have a visceral gut reaction. They, you know, they're seeing nature kind of burning and it can be really, really uh, kind of traumatic for people. So in the Amazon at the moment, there was something like 
83,000 fires over the last year and uh, a lot of these were in the dry season now a lot of these are are kind of man-made or they're started by by people trying to clear the land and they can be clearing the land uh, to uh, increase areas for for cattle um, to grow feed for cattle you know this is interesting or relevant in kind of global uh, terms or even for Ireland because just last month we had farmers and lobby groups and opposition politicians and everyone giving out about the Mercosur trade deal that was uh, agreed, the draft deal that was agreed between um, between the EU and the Mercosur South American countries, of which Brazil is one where we're seeing these fires at the moment. To put it simply, the deal would see a lot of beef coming from South America into Europe. And we already have touched on how, how beef farmers are under pressure here. And what Dara said there, there's so much focus on increasing our environmental sustainability of the beef we produce here and, you know, farmers doing everything they can and the costs to lower our emissions. And they see a kind of glaring contradiction then when we have beef coming in from Brazil and who's present at the moment, uh, Bolsonaro, is uh, <laughs> not very climate friendly, to say the least. Yeah. So, you know, that, that kind of contrast there between seeing what's happening in the in the Amazon and, you know, our farmers here, if you like, they're under pressure from an environmental perspective, it, it seems like a bit of a contradiction. Now, Leo Varadkar, the teacher, has come out quite strongly and same with Emmanuel Macron of France. Um, in relation to that, he said that there was no way that Ireland would vote for that EU Mercosur trade deal if Brazil doesn't honour its environmental commitments. And he said himself that we can't tell European or Irish farmers to to use like less fertilizer, to use fewer pesticides, and embrace biodiversity on the one hand, while then accepting beef from South American countries that has a quite a dubious record on the other hand. It's a, a kind of interesting debate, and yeah, there's kind of no easy answer in terms of it. Yeah, so it's a, like I said there, it's a how do you eat beef and, and be sound. I think we've delved into some of it there. So thanks, Cormac and Jesus and Dara. Thank you for listening to The Explainer. This episode was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bowen, producer Aoife Barry and assistant producer Nikki Ryan with tech operator Andrew Roberts. Big thanks to Cormac, Jesus and Dara for their contributions this week. I'm Sinead O'Carroll and we'll be back next week with a brand new topic. In the meantime, check out some of our other episodes. Last time, we had a difficult but necessary conversation around sex offenders in Ireland and how Ireland treats them after prison. Also in the back catalogue, we've taken a look at what's behind the feud in Drogheda, which escalated in recent days with a man's murder at a caravan park. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you and catch you next time.